I'm Anna Rothschild, and you're listening to Podcast 19 from 538. The U.S. has been administering the coronavirus vaccine for a couple months now, and it's been rough going. There have been vaccine shortages, leading some facilities to cancel existing appointments. At the end of the day, vaccine chasers wait for hours in long lines for leftover doses. In other parts of the country, seniors have camped out overnight, yet still didn't get the shot. Our imperfect system has forced individual Americans to make imperfect decisions about how and when they should get the vaccine. Should you take a leftover dose that would otherwise be wasted, even if you're a healthy 30-year-old? Should you forego a dose if you're eligible for one, but otherwise healthy and able to socially distance? Just like with the pandemic as a whole, many Americans have had to navigate these new ethical dilemmas on their own, with no objectively right decision in sight. On today's show, we'll talk to one person in charge of a state's rollout about how she's thinking about these ethical dilemmas on a large scale. And then we'll put some of these more personal dilemmas in front of bioethicists who get paid to think about what's right and wrong for a living. One of the states with the fastest vaccine rollout is West Virginia. They've distributed over 80% of their doses. They've done it by partnering with local pharmacies, since the big chains aren't in the rural areas that make up large portions of the state. They've also used the West Virginia National Guard. And according to the state's public health commissioner, Dr. Ayn Amjad, We have put some um, strict guidelines that once we deliver the doses, you have approximately three to four days to put shots in arms. So if you are not going to use them, we will come and pick up those vaccines and deliver them to another location and make somebody use them. Those types of windows that have been thought out are because um, we don't want people hoarding vaccines. There's no reason to. You need to put the shots in the arms of people who are wanting them. There's no reason to hold on to them. The bottle has to be used in six hours. I'd rather you call in someone that gets in there the next 15 minutes than throw the bottle away. If you're in a hospital, obviously you can call in the next healthcare worker or the next someone. But if you're in a, a little you know, remote um, clinic somewhere, an 80-year-old can't drive there probably. So if you know Joe Schmo and they're going to get in there, okay, fine. Is that ideal? No. But I'd rather you put that in someone's arm than throw the bottle away. With these policies, West Virginia has vaccinated all of the residents and staff in long-term care facilities and has now moved on to anyone over 65 and teachers over 50. But would this use-it-or-lose-it strategy have worked in other states? Dr. Akila Jefferson-Shaw, a researcher at the Arkansas Children's Research Institute and a bioethicist, isn't so sure. West Virginia is a much more homogenous place. And so the, the ease at which they can do things is probably a bit different than you would say even in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is where I am, or in a New York City, or in uh, you know, parts of Louisiana. And so we have to think about those differences in those, those communities and those populations and not really um, uh, penalize people for any issues they may have. We should probably be helping them figure out how to do it better. You think about all these places where the infrastructure may not be all that wonderful, and then you say, hey, if you don't get this vaccine and ASAP, we're going to take it away from you. I, you know, I see major problems um, happening there where you kind of, you, you 
kick a group of people while they're already down in a, in a way. And what may be a better or an, another way to go about it is to really supply the infrastructure that's needed to those places and to those people so that they can get the vaccines in, um, in the arms in a very, you know, way that, that doesn't waste anything, which of course we're worried about too. I know you're a, a physician and a bioethicist and not somebody who necessarily thinks about supply chains, but how do we get places that, that are less homogenous? Um, to, you know, figure out a better rollout, because it does seem right now like there's been a ton of focus on making sure the right people are getting the vaccine. And then we've heard reports of doses getting wasted or vaccine just sitting in freezers unused. So so how do you sort of square that? So a federal approach to all of this is sorely needed. I think that's happening now and it's coming now. You know, we have to have organization from the top all the way down so that every state is not doing things in a different way. Every city is not doing things in a different way. We need to be a bit more uniform in how we um, allocate and distribute these vaccines. I also think at a local level, it's hard. And you're right, I'm not any sort of expert on supply chains or anything like that. But we have lots of people across the United States who are experts in this. We have large corporations, we have the military, and again, we have the federal government who really are experts in these territories and they need to be the leaders here. Without clear guidelines, Americans are having to make tough decisions about when and how to get the vaccine. So I decided to raise a few ethical quandaries with Dr. Jefferson Shaw and a couple other bioethicists. So I'm Art Kaplan and I run the Division of Medical Ethics at the NYU Grossman School of Medicine in New York City. I'm Kyle Ferguson. I'm a postdoctoral fellow in the Division of Medical Ethics at NYU Grossman School of Medicine. I wanted to get their take on these ethically ambiguous situations, a sort of bioethics lightning round. And for the record, all of these quandaries I presented were real things that have been reported in the news or that many people have had personal experience with. What if it's the end of the day and a medical facility has an open vial of vaccine and they offer you the shot because otherwise that dose would get thrown out? Should you take it? I think that you should, honestly. And, uh, you know, this has happened in lots of places. There have been reports of pharmacies and other places. It's five o'clock. We're about to close. This vial has been open for X amount of hours. If we let it sit until six, it's going to go bad. You know, we were thinking about individuals, but in that case, I think really that's a community-based decision, right? So yes, I, as the individual, I'm gonna um, uh, have a good outcome from that. But in the end, I really don't want my community to waste any efforts that it can uh, have to get to that herd immunity. So if there's an extra dose there, you give it to somebody in the community and don't waste it. I'm gonna say absolutely. It's a no-brainer. Better to get it in an arm than throw it away. I think you should take the dose. Keep it out of the trash. I have heard some arguments that push back on that, given that it's a two-dose vaccine. So if you do take um, the trash-bound dose, you're also taking one three or four weeks later. But I don't think anyone who's in that position is in a real position to know what the supply is going to look like weeks from now. This actually happened to, to somebody at 538, um, and 
he went and got the shot and then afterwards felt bad because he realized that it sort of meant he would be cutting the line for his second dose. Something didn't sit well with him about that. But at the same time, that dose otherwise would have gotten thrown out. Exactly. So, you know, and it's not a perfect um, situation, right? But in the end, I think we cannot waste doses of this really scarce, a scarce resource. I mean, you might think his waste in general is bad. And it's, it's not just the dose that's being wasted, it's the other resources involved. So the, the staff that is, is there and the time, like those, those are resources too that are just squandered when they're used to put a dose in the trash. All right, next question. Let's say you're over 60 and the shot is available to you. The state has told you that you are eligible based on age but you think that other people are needier because you can work from home or are retired. Should you get the vaccine? I think that's a personal choice too. That's really, um, if it were me, I probably would not get the vaccine as long as I knew that someone else was going to get it. So to me, this is very different from the first question. The dose is not going to be wasted necessarily. It's just going to go you know, to the next person on the list. And I think that that is a reasonable thing to do to, um, to, to forego your chance at that time to give it to somebody else in higher need. I mean, in a case like that, it's probably true that there are a lot of other people who are at a higher risk of exposure um, than you. But you're still at risk. Given the, the age of that person, if they were to be infected, they're at risk of, of a really serious outcome. So it I think in that case, you should, you should take the opportunity to be vaccinated. I agree. And I think there's no guarantee that it's headed to somebody more at risk than you. You don't know where that dose is heading right now in most states anyway, should you turn it down. So I agree. I think you should take it. And I think Kyle's right. Almost no one is at zero, zero risk. Okay, this next one is similar. But say the same thing happened to a young person. So what if you're young and healthy, but for whatever reason, you have the opportunity to get the vaccine? And let's say you work from home, too. This actually happened to a family member of mine. He is an adjunct professor. And uh, because he's affiliated with a university in his state, he was offered the vaccine. But he's in his late 20s and has no pre-existing conditions, and so really was weighing what he should do. I mean, that's a better case there for asking, could it go somewhere else? Do you know where it's going? So my argument would be for fairness, see if you can determine where it's going to go. If not, then maybe you're going to get it uh, because they can't guarantee you that it's going to go to someone needier. As far as this concerns the the overarching theme about individual um, responsibilities. Uh, there's probably a responsibility to ask about, about these things and a responsibility to know sort of the bare, the bare minimum about the supply and, and who might have access to it. But that there's a corresponding responsibility on the part of the institution to provide that information and for states to communicate it. Right. In many ways, this is a flawed system where the people you call to get that information may simply not have that information. And it's all the more complicated by the fact that different states just have different requirements. 
My next questions for the bioethicists focused on disparities in the vaccine rollout based on income and race. The pandemic has hit communities of color particularly hard. For example, according to the COVID tracking project, black people have died at 1.5 times the rate of white people in America. Yet Politico has reported that only 5% of vaccines have gone to black Americans. You know, some states, because of discrepancies in who's been getting the vaccine, have prioritized certain zip codes for the vaccine based on, you know, race and income um, and other demographic factors like that. So say you live in a zip code that's been prioritized for the COVID vaccine, but you're financially stable and you have no comorbidities. Do you get the vaccine? And I guess in this case, let's assume that the person is somebody who does have a public-facing job where they are going out, they're not just staying home all day. I think that you do get the vaccine in that case. And again, you know, we have to think about these individual decisions and then also decisions that have an impact on the community. So when we're prioritizing based on community risk factors, which can be things like income, poverty levels, a concentration of different racial or ethnic uh, groups, then we, we're really thinking about a community-wide risk, not just an individual risk there. So while one person may feel that their risk is a little bit lower than their neighbors, still the point of vaccinating communities in that manner is really to, to provide community-wide protection against the virus. So I think in that case, you have to take it. Being financially stable because you have a job, let's say, that is okay doesn't mean you're not working as a bus driver with high exposure or working uh, in a hospital uh, doing the laundry. I wouldn't, if you were like the millionaire of the zip code, maybe you might want to stand aside, but that's not really what most of these zip codes look like. I did actually see a tweet from somebody the other day who I think is relatively young, probably my age. I think they can probably work from home, but they live in a zip code that's been prioritized in D.C. Um, and they were wondering if they should go out and get the shot because eventually everyone is going to need to get it or if they should wait to get it until later. From personal responsibility point of view, you know they're giving it out in the zip code. So you know where it's going to go if you don't take it. That's a little different from some of our other cases where you're not sure who's going next. So if you really were pretty sure that they were trying to, if you will, thoroughly vaccinate a poor area, then maybe there is a case that you stand aside for now and then know that you have to be cautious and then know that you're probably going to be able to get vaccinated in a few months. This next one is maybe the most complicated one. It's a real issue that's been happening in D.C. So what if you live in a predominantly white, affluent neighborhood um, and you're eligible to get the vaccine based on your age? So you're an elderly person, for example. But the only available appointments are in predominantly black or poorer neighborhoods. What do you do? We're talking about need right now and risk of dying right now. So I do think you can get in line or sign up. If it starts to swamp what's going on in the poor neighborhood, then I think they've got to, if you will, expand sites, get more supply in there as it comes in. In fact, we're seeing exactly that sort of swamping happen in some communities of color. So this is a very hard one 
I worry that, and you're right, this has been reported in DC and in other places, that um, people who do not live in a particular community are coming in sometimes and getting those doses. And again, we're thinking about these community-wide issues versus individual issues, right? So, you know, it kind of makes my stomach hurt a little bit. And sometimes we call that an ick factor in bioethics where something just doesn't really sit right with you about having somebody come from the outside into a vulnerable space and take up uh, scarce resources. So I think that I would say um, you should not go into a vulnerable uh, population that is high risk um, that needs that resource and rather we should find an alternative for that individual who also needs the vaccine for other reasons um, to get it in a, a less icky way, <laughs> we'll say a much more, uh, a way that doesn't hurt so many other people um, in, the, in the way that that might. Some might say that affluent white people are able to claim spots in neighborhoods of color because the people who live there aren't signing up. And yes, polling has shown that communities of color are warier of the vaccine, likely because of a long history of medical racism in this country. But that's only part of the story. These communities also often have less ingrained access to the healthcare system. They might not get alerts on their phone saying, hey, the vaccine is available to you now. So there are really multiple factors at play resulting in lower vaccination rates among people of color. How do we even the playing field? How do we make sure that, first of all, those people know that the vaccine's available to them, convince them that it's safe to get the vaccine, and then make sure they have the most equitable access to the vaccine? Yeah, so this is a, it's a complicated um, conundrum that we're in, but it's one that we can overcome, I think. So number one, I would say we have to take away those barriers, right? Those structures that are in the way that are allowing or um, preventing people from knowing where to go, from knowing the vaccine is available for their population, from having transportation available to get to the place where the vaccine is available. We're at this moment where we're both encouraging people to go out and get the shot when it's available, but also asking them to be patient during the rollout. How do you do that? Like, how do you both convince somebody that it's really important for them to take this seriously, get the shot, it, the shot is safe, and then tell them, actually, wait two more months. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's like, run, don't walk, but wait, walk. Yeah, exactly. Walk, right? <laughs> um, you know, it's hard, because a, a lot of this, I think, is just making sure people are, um, we're all have a little bit of grace with each other. This is a hard time for everyone. This has been going on for a year. Um, more than a year now in the United States. Um, and just knowing that we're doing our best. We're trying to make sure you're uh, educated on what's going on, make sure you have good information about what's going on. But I think, um, again, a big thing is just is understanding and grace and you know, tr letting everybody know we're trying to get it in your arm. And we hope that when it's available for you that you will take it. Um, but we know that we can't get it in everyone's arm at the same time today. And, and you know, just a little bit of patience there, just like we've all been patient for the entire year, but just a little bit more. And I think most people understand that. As far as in encouraging people to get the vaccine, it's emphasizing the safety, emphasizing the efficacy, emphasizing the communal good that's in the works. And as far as being patient, it's reminding people of their neighbors 
who need it more at this time and promising and following through on the promise that their opportunity will come soon. That's it for this episode of Podcast 19. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, email us a voice memo at askpodcast19 at gmail.com. That's askpodcast19 at gmail.com. I'm Anna Rothschild. Our producer is Sindhuja Srinivasan. Chadwick Matlin is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. See you next time.